well, how do you define success? How do we define success? Is it defined by those who have the most money, the greatest titles, or the most notoriety? Like many of us, I once defined success in that way until I saw what was behind the scenes and then I was shocked. I had a, a, a Dorothy in the Wiz experience. Remember when she went behind the door and went behind the curtain in the Wiz, not the Wizard of Oz, but in the Wiz. And she found the great and powerful Oz whimpering in his bed. Remember what Dorothy cried out when she saw him? Do you remember what she said? Now, we're not talking about the Wizard of Oz. We're talking about the Wiz. Remember what she says? She says, you're a phony. You're a nothing but a phony. When I realized those whom I once held in high esteem were struggling, just like everybody else, I knew that something was amiss. They may have had more money and a greater name recognition than myself and others, but their personal struggles, they never disappeared. As they made it to the top, their personal issues and their problems also made it to the top with them. You see, once you finally make it, your problems don't disappear. Brian Tracy says, if we are not careful, we can fall victim to two laws. If our desire for success, if it is not properly focused. Here's that first law. It is the law of unintended consequence. The law of unintended consequence. And here it is. This law states that the unintended consequences of an action can be far worse than the intended consequences of that behavior because of a lack of long-term thinking. One more time. It states that the unintended consequences of an action can be far worse than the intended consequences of that behavior because of a lack of long-term thinking. For instance, right, you decide that you want to open up a credit card account for the sole purpose of doing business. But instead, you begin to charge things on your credit card like buying candy bars or buying popcorn. And then you do it at the local quickie mart. And then you decide to take your credit card and go and buy a chicken dinner at your local chicken hut. So after doing this for a while, you soon discover that it all adds up and now you're paying interest on that candy bar. Or you're paying interest on that good old hot 
fried chicken leg and chicken wing that you had with buffalo sauce. Now that once chicken dinner that costs you $5 initially, it now costs you $25 a year later. You're still paying on that chicken dinner at Chicken Hut. See, our drive for success or this race to become well-known can have unintended consequences if we don't put it in its proper perspective. You see, Paul, he understood this full well. As he looked at all that he was and he compared it with what could be gained and decided that there was no contest. What about you? How do you view your personal achievements? Let us look at boasting in the light of the resurrection. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, Verse 7. One of the things I believe that Paul tells us is this. Write off anything you have gained on your own. Write off anything that you have gained on your own. Philippians 3 verse 7. Paul says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything at loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered a loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. At certain points throughout the year, people are thinking about, uh, what can I write off on my taxes? And if I have this correct, a write-off means that there is a financial investment somewhere in your business or personal life in which you're able to deduct a certain part of that in order to lower the impact of the amount of taxes that you owe the government. In some cases, these write-offs are things like property taxes or your car mileage or depreciation on that vehicle. In other cases, it may be some kind of loss incurred due to maybe weather damage or even theft. These write-offs are financial credits you are, in essence, receiving back. But in the Word of God today, what is being written off is not being written off for some financial credit or some kind of return. Here in verse 7, Paul says clearly, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Very interesting here that, uh, that Paul, he uses uh, financial accounting terms in order to bring his point about what he is not and what Jesus is. So when he says whatever gain, he's speaking of the fact that, you know, uh, when you have all your money in uh, like a checking or savings account and you start to count your money, amen, and you should count your money to see where all the money is going and where all the money is coming in at. 
Paul says that he has, whatever he has gained, he was just like an accountant. That he had books on everything that he has, and as he begins to add it all up, that he realized that everything that he had gained, that it equaled nothing. In other words, Paul says, in my life, one plus one equals nothing. Paul says, uh, in my life, uh, 1,000 plus 1,000 is equated to zero. It was a total loss. A total loss of all the, the things that he had worked for, all the things that he had struggled for. And then he says, whatever gain or advantage that he had, it was a loss all for the sake of Christ. And you see, uh, today this way of thinking is not popular. It's not popular today if you were to consider that I'm going to give up everything I have in order to follow Jesus. Would you do that? And even if you did it, what would people say about you? Oh, I'll tell you what they say about you because I'll tell you what they said about me, right? Oh, uh, they have lost their mind. What's wrong with them? You see, this type of thinking in the world, it, it lacks sense to those who have no spiritual sense. Because who in their right minds would consider any advantage that they have to come to nothing when faced to the reality and the religious nature of Jesus Christ. At one time, Paul was extremely proud of who he was because he placed all of his worth in what he had accomplished and in his personhood. Uh, this is not unlike many of us who see ourselves or how we used to think of ourselves. We thought that we were all that and a bag of chips. So Paul, he placed much stock in his heritage of which he exuded the very essence of what it meant to be a Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, from the tribe of, of, of Benjamin. This was Paul. His former name before Christ changed his name was Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Though they were smaller than most other tribes, uh, they were fierce fighters. The Benjamites were known to be uh, very fierce fighters. In fact, as many of you know, the first king of Israel, he came from the tribe of Israel, right? Uh, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And his name was King Saul as well. So it looks like that the Paul that we know that he got his name Saul, uh, that his parents named him that uh, from uh, King Saul. And not only that, he was from that, uh, that tribe of Benjamin. Uh, so, so Paul had plenty to be boastful about. This all would be no difference from us who are proud of our heritage. As a matter of fact, uh, I just found out, or at least my son, he found out, that not only uh, did he come from uh, West, I, I got to say him, because I'm still trying to swallow it all, amen? So, so, so not only did he come from, uh, uh, his ancestors came from West Africa. What percentage was that? 64% from West Africa. 
But believe it or not, believe it or not, Dad, believe it or not, when the next St. Patrick's Day come around, <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> Irish, can you believe that? Me. Well, my son, anyway, amen. <laughs> right? Irish and we have Spanish and Native American. And, my, and then my son said, look at this. It even goes all the way to Russia. I'm like, Russia? I told him, you better go ahead and talk to Putin there, my friend. So for many of us, whatever heritage that you are, uh, that you're proud of that. You're proud of who you are. You would be proud of all those things, and, and some of you wouldn't hesitate to share it on social media so that others can be proud of you as well, so you can find that one place. But Paul doesn't leave it with his heritage, but goes on to speak about his religious life. So how religious can you get without actually being God? Uh, look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. Verse 5, I'm starting near the end of verse 5 in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul says of himself, uh, as to the law, he said he was a Pharisee. Verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of, of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he said that he was blameless under the law. So not only did Paul have his accomplishments and heritage in order, but he was also religiously superior he knew the scriptures back and forth concerning the law. This is why the other Pharisees, when they needed help, that they would refer to Paul because Paul, he knew the law inside and out. Paul could tell you if you had spent enough time in church. Paul could tell you if you paid enough in your tithes and your offerings. Paul could tell you if your hair was too long or too short to be in the presence of the Lord. He could tell you if you wore the correct mixture of clothing uh, before you entered his sanctuary. These things were in the law of God. And Paul was an expert in that law and he was proud of it. And this is why he was coming after the church. In fact... Paul had such a passion for the Word of God that he quickly went out and persecuted Christians, uh, giving the okay to have Christians killed. Why? Because he strongly believed that they transgress the law of God. He believed this with all his heart uh, to the point of giving that okay to Stephen for Stephen to be stoned to death due to Stephen's blasphemy, uh, talking about how he worshipped Jesus Christ. Paul was proud of all of those things. And I'm sure if some of you were once proud when you talked about those church folks. Remember that? Remember how some of you used to talk about those holy rollers? That they were so heavenly minded that they were no earthly good. Remember that? Them, them church people. You once talked about them, and some of you probably still do. And that's okay, because we're praying that God would get his hand on you. 
But verse 8 says Paul took all of his wealth, all his heritage, all his religious, religiosity, and put it in the garbage can. That's what it says. He says this in verse 8. For his sake, and this is the sake of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or as garbage. In fact, we see uh, Paul's increased disdain for what he had accomplished in the flesh. Why? Uh, what are you talking about? Because verse 7, first he says that he counted them as loss. And then verse 8, it says he counted everything as loss. And then verse 8 again, he says he suffered the loss. And then he says, you know, that language is not good enough. Yes, I suffered loss. Everything is lost. But then Paul, he makes another step. And he says, you know what? It's not only loss, he calls it scubala. Paul does. Paul says, not only did I count it loss, not only is everything lost, not only have I suffered loss, but it is all scubala. Saying, what in the world is scubala? Well, scubala is human excrement. Paul says that, you know, all that I have accomplished is nothing but a pile of dumb. See, some of our translations, unfortunately, uh, just because uh, they're trying to, to smooth over uh, some of the words, they don't always call it what it is. Paul says that there is this increasing knowledge that I have in Christ, and then when I look at who I am, when I look at what I have done, when I look at how my heart was far away from God, that at the end of the day, who I am, uh, what I have accomplished, it is all nothing but a pile of dung. In our world of trying to be successful and positive, oh, we would never tell anyone that you are aspiring to be nothing but a pile of dumb. If you heard someone telling someone else that, you would say, well, that's abusive language and you should be more positive. Paul says, come on now, uh, you may do all that stuff, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. You see, as Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was not concerned with being politically correct. He was only concerned with being Jesus correct. So the resurrection should be more valuable than who we are or what we aspire to be. The resurrection should be more valuable than who we are or what we aspire to be. I'm reading again Philippians 3, near the end of uh, verse 8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying that all this is leading to me not only being resurrection, but re re resurrected, but also sharing in the suffering of Christ, that he may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, the law was never the problem for Paul or any other, uh, of the other Jews. The problem was that they approached the law and made it into something that it was never intended to be. The law was a standard of obedience which begins in the heart. You see, when someone tells you to do something, they want you to do it out of obedience and you do it within uh, the, uh, this, this realm of submission and because of love at the same time. The problem with the works of the law is that the faith was absent. So you can't follow what Christ wants you to do if your heart is not in it. So what happens when we decide to do things that, uh, especially with Paul, it created a hollow-out shell good for appearances and nothing else. And you know the appearances that I speak of as well. It's like, remember, uh, people still do talk like this, surprisingly, that uh, sometimes there are people, when they speak of the things of God, uh, they turn into their holy voices. Right? Oh, the Lord, uh, he wants uh, you uh, to make sure that you are following God. Right? You, know, you, 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 you have this holy voice. I recall years ago that uh, my wife and I, we had uh, uh, went to, we, we had attended a friend's of our church one evening and, uh, and they happened to have a special speaker there. He was some bishop, bishop of something. So he had to go to another church and just so happened we were going his way. I said, well, we'll take you there, right? So he got in the car and he had us, yes, and the Lord was really good or whatever he was saying. You remember that, right? And, and by the time he got out the car, he said, yeah, dog, yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to make it and all this other stuff. And I looked at my wife, you know, and, and, but we didn't say nothing, you know. We're, we're good Christians. We didn't say nothing until he got out the car, right? Uh, all right? And, and, and then we prayed for him, right? Uh, no, we, no, we didn't pray for him, but we did. We, 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 we talked about him. We probably shouldn't have talked about him. But it's amazing how the holy voice went from that on high to, yeah, I'm just, I'm just trying to make it, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. God wants us to be who we are, right? Appearances, appearances mean nothing to God. Remember the time how you had to have holy attire, especially the ladies, how you couldn't wear pants, and how you couldn't wear lipstick, else you were Jezebel. Remember that? then if you really want to go back, remember the times when you were playing cards and folks say, you ain't nothing but the devil. And then uh, don't start throwing dice anywhere either. Right? And then, but, but, but even in some churches, they told you that you couldn't even go to the movies. 
See, all these things were restrictive, and, and, and most people who followed them, not all, there are, there are many people who really loved the Lord, and they wanted to do what was right uh, before God. Uh, they, they, but, but some of these other folks, that they followed the things, but they really you know, weren't into that. I believe they really understood. Now, however, Paul says he wants to be found in Christ, not because of righteousness which is found in himself, through keeping the law. Again, uh, the theme of counting all those things laws is highlighted in order to demonstrate the futility of self-righteousness. You know, Paul, you know, you're, you're being self-righteous. Paul would never say that about himself at that time. But looking back on it, Paul says it, it was self-righteous. I realize that but when I stand before Christ, that all the things that I am, that it's nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. So clearly we see that the Scripture says not having a righteous of my own that comes from the law. In other words, through things that we do. But then the verse goes on to say, he says not only a righteousness, he says that which comes through faith in Christ. Now, as we look at this verse, I would like to retranslate this. Right? I, I, and I need to retranslate this for a reason, because uh, in the original text, there are some markers that are there that's kind of missed here in the ESV, and not only the ESV, but many other translations as well. And I, I know why they translate it that way, right? They, they, they translate it that way for a reason. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and let's look at verse 9. He says here, verse 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's a retranslation. But a righteousness that comes through the faithfulness of Christ. See, there's a difference between the faith uh, uh, found to be faithful in Christ versus the faithfulness of Christ. Now, at the end of the day, uh, uh, all the translations they get here, they end up the same way. And I want you to know I'm not a heretic, right? There are some other translations that also agree with what I'm saying, like the NET, if you're interested, right? Uh, plus, uh, there's many others, right? Because there's some words in the original language that's missing. There's a word that's staying that's missing within the original language, which points to the fact that this is about the faithfulness of Christ, right? But what does this all mean? In other words, it is because of the faithfulness of Christ that we are able to obtain righteousness. You see, this is why it needs to be retranslated. It is because of the faithfulness of Christ that we are able to obtain righteousness, Again, why this translation? Because as you know, it is not through our own means or our own merits that we have standing before the Lord, right? And if you have standing before the Lord based on your own merits, raise your hand and we want to pray with you right now that you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that our translation, that it is still correct, but there's a shade of difference there that's not being brought out by the way that they translate it. 
But nevertheless, at the end of verse 9, it says, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So you see, it actually ends up being in the same place. So it does depend on faith in Christ, but it is because of the faithfulness of Christ, of the fact that he hung, that he hung on the cross, that he had to do it willingly, even though they accused him wrongly. He still did it. He, remember how he asked the Father, if it is so your will, you know, take this cup from me, but yet let your will be done. At the end of the day, Paul says that we need to have a desire to know Christ and his resurrection. Verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The desire to be like Jesus Christ was important to Paul on several points, but which we ourselves should look. This is what Paul wanted. He wanted to know the Lord. Paul deeply wanted to know the Lord. Do you want to know the Lord? What does that mean? Looking at the vast amount of material that Paul wrote about Jesus Christ in the church, how could he even say that he wanted to know the Lord? You mean to tell me that he's writing all this material and he doesn't know Jesus? No, Paul was not questioning whether or not if he knew Christ. He was not questioning his salvation because his salvation was secure. But this is something we all should consider on our journey of faith. Because what we currently know of the Lord is not the deepest nor the exhaustive knowledge of who he is. In other words, we should all know more of the Lord. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 31 and 34. Jeremiah 31, 34. He says here in the eschaton, right? In the last of the last, after the world has ended and Jesus Christ has come back and things are set in the way that they should, uh, Jeremiah the prophet says this, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There's coming a time that you never have to go to church like this anymore. Some of you say amen. Uh, there's coming a time that you never have to do another Bible study. You see, <clears throat> the reason that we study God's word so much is so that we can what? So that we can know the Lord and that we may know how to live. But once we see him face to face, once we see God, uh, no more need for any of that because now we will behold his glory. We will behold his beauty. We will know him. We will see him. His glory will shine forth forever and forever. This is what Paul was tapping into. He so desperately wanted to know the Lord and know him deeply. Somehow I hear in Paul's voice, though, I hear in his voice, in his writings, that he, it seems to me that Paul wanted to have something of another Damascus Road experience. Remember on the Damascus Road when Paul met Jesus face to face? 
I believe Paul was desperately searching to see God face to face, even as Moses saw him face to face. Isn't that remarkable? That a relationship with the Lord blinded is better than no relationship with the Lord when you can see. Would how you think about the Lord change if you met him face to face? He wanted to know the power of his resurrection. We have been led all the way here to verses 10 and 11. Believers should be willing to give it all up for the chance to know the Lord and walk in his resurrection, and one day we will. It was, it's not that one day we will be identi identical to Christ, because we will not, but we will be resurrected from the dead. As Christ has risen from the dead, so shall we be risen from the dead. For that, we can thank the Lord. So in light of the resurrection, our boasting about who we are and what we have accomplished, it comes to nothing. Christ has risen from the dead. And this is one of the things that sets him apart from all of the so-called gods and spiritual gods, that Jesus is alive. Now earlier I mentioned we could fall victim to two laws. I know some of you are probably keeping track, wondering if he's ever going to talk about that. Well, here it is. Here's a second law. It's called the law of perverse consequence. The law of perverse consequence. It states, and I quote, a short-term short action aimed at immediate gratification can lead to perverse or the opposite consequence from those at which it was aimed. In other words, in other words, it's, it's like this. If, if you're a student, right? You'd rather come home and look at TV and play video games than to study. Why? Because right now, if I look at TV and play video games right now, it makes me feel really good right now. But you see, if you don't think long term, if you don't think about the consequences of your actions, long term says that more than likely you are not going to be 40 years old doing nothing, living in your parents' house, but playing video games. I know most of these parents out here, right? And even if you like that, we're going to have a talk because I'm going to be mad at you, right? So in other words, we need to make sure that we understand that all the things that we're trying to gratify ourselves with right now we understand that even though we may be happy for a second, we're going to be miserable for many years to come because it is the law of perverse consequences. So the law of perverse consequences says this, that the failure to walk with Christ or the rejection of his gospel because you want to live life the way you want to live it it will result in perverse consequences. Why? What am I well, you say that, you know, I just want to get drunk. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to believe in Jesus. I want to have sex outside of marriage, right? I, I, I want to, you know, have a mouth that puts a sailor to shame. I, I want to do all this. I want to live my life, and I don't need a cage of Jesus trying to keep me back. But you see, the problem is that in the span of eternity, our life is probably about this long. So I, you, you see, so all of our 
uh, immediate gratifications is here. But if imagine, if you would, eternity goes from 103rd Street all the way downtown. But your life is only this big. You see? So your immediate, con your, your immediate gratification of what you like right now, uh, that well, it will have a perverse, a perverse consequence on the rest of your eternity for which you will live. Because you say, I just want to feel good right now. <laughs> so you may think that you will enjoy life more by rejecting Jesus. You will indeed suffer eternal and irreversible consequences of being separated from, from God. And if you are a believer, if you're walking in disobedience and you're rejecting the Lord, know that you have a loss of rewards in heaven and you're not going to be able to recover them once you pass away. So in light of this, in light of the resurrection, our boasting about who we are is nothing when we compare it to Christ. One more verse and I'm totally done. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself or herself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See that? It's that law in operation. Basically, that law comes from the word of God. What's your decision? Where's your boasting and light of the resurrection? Let's pray.